heard um, Erica Davis, and she just got up here and just talked, you know, and it was so anointed. And I told her, I said, I don't think I want to follow you <laughs> because I like to have my little ducks in a row. I was talking to Shelly about it. She said, you know, you and I are like, Mom. She said, we want to have those notes, and, you know, I try not to get too very far away because I could really get off on bunny trails, and you don't need bunny trails, you know. So the title of my message might be a little frightening. It's, the title is, Will the Real Jehovah God Please Stand Up? Oh, got your dinner already. Got your attention. I want to start out with a tasting of God, Psalm 34, 8 through 10. I was meditating on that scripture the last week or two, and the Lord told me this is what people want to do. They want to see God move in awesome ways, and then they want to go after him and follow him. But the word says you have to taste, and then you get to see that the Lord is G-O-O-D. What does it say? Good. Okay, that's going to be what we're going to talk about. The Lord is good. How blessed is a man that takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. You with me, Marty? Pardon me? Just go. For to those who fear him, listen to this, to those who fear him or seeking God, trying to do the things that he wants done, there is no want. The young lions lack and suffer hunger but they that seek the lord shall not want any good thing wow we, we could just stop right there and and know that this is the will of god for you psalm 34 8 through 10 so how many of you how many of you can say that you honestly believe that god is good yesterday today and forever i want to see your hands Wow, well, may I need to sit down? I'm not going to. Is your core belief that God is good? I is that true? Well, you say that. How many of you want to know God more? I hope that, that, I hope that is every one of you. But how many of you really know what you believe about God? I think we don't. I want to tell you that you can really, never really know God. Never, never, never. Unless you establish this, God is good. That's got to be the cement foundation here. God is good, and he's good all the time. We say that with Pastor Shelley. You know, she'll say God is good. We say all the time, all the time God is good. Well, we say that. But do you really down deep believe that? I want to tell you, God is good, and I'm going to add to it, he is never bad. That's a little different than just saying God is good because God is good, but he may straighten you out. I'm kidding, you know. God never does hurtful, harmful, mean, disastrous, ugly things. He doesn't give sickness, disease, or death because He's the spirit of life. He cannot give anything but life. Wow. John 10, 10 tells us, Shorty affirmed that this morning. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Well, that sounds, that sounds pretty good to me, doesn't it, you? Do you know there's more questions, more concerns, more controversy over the goodness of God? than any other issue in the Bible. Wow. So when I say your core belief should be that God is good and always good, some people have little red flags that just, they begin to blink all around you. Some people are disturbed by that. And you know what is our greatest concern is that we have not developed the capacity to receive what's being offered to us. 
You remember this scripture in Luke 10, 5 through 6. This is Jesus talking, and, and he's telling the disciples, when you go to this house, when you walk in, you say, peace to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, and if not, it will return to you. Has that scripture always seemed a little strange to you? Maybe not, but it did to me. I thought, why do you do that? Hopefully I'm going to tell you. But just for fun, I want to connect you first with what happened to Noah. You know, he's been in a flood for 40 days and 40 nights, and the waters are high, and he's, he's in the ark, and the ark is finally crested on the top of the mountain. And I had to look this up because I didn't really believe it because I thought he sent out a dove. How many of you thought he sent out a dove? Well, one, two. I guess the rest of you know the truth. Okay. <laughs> he sent out a raven. And the raven flew here and there and here and there till the waters abated. Now, that's what the scripture says. This is Genesis 8, 6. I'm not going to read all that. But then after the 40 days, he also sent out a dove. And the dove um, returned with nothing. The, the dove just came back, and he took him back into the ark. You can picture that. You know, they aren't on top of the ark looking around. They got this little window that they let the dove, he let the dove out of. And the dove came back. He let him in. And then he waited another seven days, and he sent the dove out again. And the dove came back with an, a fresh olive leaf in its beak so no one knows you know there's vegetation out there because he brought the leaf back he waited another seven days and he sent he released the dove again and the dove never returned because he found a resting place The dove found a resting place. You see, that's what we haven't done. With the things God has to give us, we haven't provided a resting place. And so we have not received all he wants for us. Now, this isn't a slap-happy, praise-God sermon, but it should be, you know. I mean, this is good news. It really is good news. Jerry told me I read it to him, and he said, that's a quiet sermon. I said, I don't want it to be quiet. So yell if you want to, okay? Every time, I want, I want to connect that to this. So every time we make a declaration of God, of the goodness of God, the Holy Spirit takes that declaration, and he goes, and he's looking for a resting place for the goodness of God, for the peace of God, for whatever it is you're proclaiming. So if you're, not, if you're not speaking, declaring the word of God over your family, over your home, over your situation, you're missing it. You don't get to receive all that God wants for you because you're not providing the resting place. Okay? You've got to provide a place for that to land. So, so I, I decided, okay, what I'm going to do, right now I'm going to prophesy, I'm going to speak. Actually, I'm going to release the goodness of God over this house. For the rest of the days of this house, I declare, the goodness of God abides here, and it abides in all who come. See, we're going to provide God a resting place. You know, we've, have you ever heard, you know, we want God to come visit? No, we really don't. We want him to come and stay. We want to provide a resting place for God. So he, did, he never wants to leave. He just stays. Then we have church. Okay. Our ministry. I know, I know you've read the scripture where our ministry is the reconciliation. To, to give reconciliation to those that need Jesus Christ. And that's true. But you know what our ministry is also? It's to release the presence of God. So I do that right now. I release the presence of God into this place then the Holy Spirit can go and take the presence of God and deposit it on any resting place. But how can we be fully established and believe what I just said? That you can speak 
and the Holy Spirit will take those words and look for a resting place. How can you believe that if you don't really believe that God's good always? You see, it, it's foundational. So here's my question. Will the real Jehovah God please stand up? Because we've made him out to be something he is not. We haven't, actually. We've believed the lies of the enemy. And he's done a really good job. Ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan has been devising schemes to make people doubt that God is good. It's amazing that he could possibly, you know, after all that God has done, how could he do that? The one thing, it's a character assassination. That's what it is. And he should be in jail for that. Because if you did that to a person, they'd take you to court and the judge would award you compensation for that. Religious traditions. Now, maybe you don't know. Maybe you're too young to know about the hellfire and brimstone sermon. Anybody know about those? Oh, well, some of you do. Okay. There have been religious preachers, long-faced, angry preachers, that represented God is mad, and if you don't get saved, you're going to burn in hell. Have you ever heard that? They've given you the impression God's in a bad mood, and you better walk on tippy-toes because it's no telling what he might do. That is the biggest lie of the devil. It is a lie, it is a lie, it is a lie, and it makes me mad that he's been able to perpetrate it, and we've believed it. And all of us have believed some part of it. But if you've been influenced by those things at all, I want you to wipe them out of your brain this morning because that's not what the Bible teaches. God is not out to get us or harm us in any way. And you won't catch God having a bad day. And just think about this. God is all-powerful, omnipotent. If he did have a bad day, what might happen? You ever have a bad day? Throw something, get mad, yell, scream. Whoa. That's, that's how come you can know God doesn't have a bad day. He's looking for ways to bless us. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 12 and 13. says, I know there's nothing better for men than to be happy. Listen to that. Be happy and do good while they live so that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. So you guys that are going to work every day and complaining, and some of us women, it's a gift of God. God, God created us to toil. Okay. Sometimes we ignore God or we disobey him, and sometimes we don't mean to, we do. And then we get to thinking that he's forsaken us, but he did not. And we walk away, but he never does. And we feel unworthy to receive what he has. You haven't made the resting place. Don't believe it. It's another lie. You're not unworthy. You're not forsaken. Psalm 145, verse 14 and through 18. says, The Lord upholds all those who fall. Well, praise God. And he lifts up all that are bowed down. And the eyes of all look to you, to you, God. And you, God, give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. And that would be the entirety of everything created. You know, who feeds the birds? Who feeds the lion and the giraffe and whatever? Well, I don't, do you? When we feel left out and forsaken, you know what we have to do? And some of you may be feeling that today. I know there's discouragement in the house. If you feel discouraged and, and frustrated and thinking, God, you're 100,000 miles away, you know what you have to do? You turn around this way and you run as fast as you can right back to God's arms. And you know what he's doing? He's standing there waiting and he grabs you and he just hugs you. And he just begins to pour out, like the prodigal son, everything, everything that he has is yours already. And he longs to do that. Now, 
I know you've heard sermons on God will punish and destroy and kill. God's going to judge the nation, and everything that happens is God's will. Have you ever heard that statement? Well, I hope you don't believe that. I'm just going to give you one example, and I could preach a whole sermon on that. But God desires, you would agree with this, I'm sure, that all be saved and come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wants nobody to go to hell. Is that right? Do they all get saved? Well, it's God's will. You see what we've done? We've attached God's will to things because it makes us more comfortable. Because if we can lay it on to God, I can deal with it. But if I, if I should have done something, or if I erred, I might not be able to live with it. But I can live with it if a God... So I'd rather God would be bad and have done something bad than for me to have to, to, to judge myself or my intentions. Does that make sense? You know, the Bible testifies of the goodness of God, not the badness of God. Page after page tells us of his goodness. You know, even the Old Testament, most people don't realize that the Old Testament was just God trying to protect and bring his people back under his wing. Because they got out. When Adam and Eve sinned, they got out, you know, because sin fell on everybody. And so those people, the Israelites, could not keep the law. They got out from under. He was just, he kept trying to get them back under his wing. That was the whole intent of the Old Testament. That was good. But when we read the Old Testament, we think, ooh, there's some things in there that kind of shake me. Have you ever done that? You know, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, all mankind was under the curse of sin. The law was all about bringing them back. Christians and sinners alike get confused about the sovereignty of God. So they blame God on calamities and accidents, tragedies, sickness, the results of the curse. They give God the credit. When our pulpits are filled with words that God is good, but he may choose to take you through a really tough time here. He may just slap you around a little bit, Kelly. But I want you to know it's, it's for your good. You know, I'm going to beat you up a little bit, but it's for your good. What, what's your hair? Now, you're laughing, but we do that. We say, okay, God, I'm in this place, and I don't like it, but I know it's your will for me to be here. I'm not saying you won't have tough times, because you will. But you know what? God gave us all choices every single day. It's choose me or choose the devil. And you know, no matter how good we are, want, how good we want to be, we don't always make the right choice, do we? So acts of God, have you ever heard this? Acts of God are Things like tornadoes and hailstorms and tsunamis and floods and hurricanes and car wrecks and sickness and disease. Those are all acts of God, right? No. They're acts of nature. God set nature in, in place. Who perverts nature? Is it all nice little rainstorms, you know, and gentle breezes? And No. Okay. The devil perverts the weather. Okay, so we're going to talk about God in the Old Testament a minute. God has wrath, but the Bible never defines him as wrath. He is defined as love. God is love. But we see God being angry. Tell me you've read that in the, in the Old Testament. You've read things where you, you believe God was angry. None of you have read that? I don't see your hands. Are you afraid to put up your hands? In the Old Testament and the book of Revelation, you're going to see anger projected against those that rejected Jesus. Okay? That's where his anger was heading. But you and me, I hope everybody in this house has accepted Jesus, are believers in the New Covenant, so we're not part of the Old Testament. We read it, but we're not part of it. Now listen to this. 
You're never going to be punished as the Old Testament people were because you have already received Jesus. God is not angry with you. I want to tell you that his anger landed on the cross, on Jesus. Jesus became the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. There are many believers who believe God is love and he's good, but he's also, it's almost like they got him divided in half. God is good and love, but he also can be a God of great wrath. Have you heard that? Have you maybe believed that? You may not want to admit it. They're confused about it. Is God angry sometimes and loving others? Now, under the old covenant of Moses, if the children obeyed the Ten Commandments, they were blessed. If they didn't, they were not blessed. <laughs> they were cursed. Now, this covenant depends on them keeping the law. It was a big job for them, would you agree? I mean, all of Leviticus is full of laws. I mean, and God knew they couldn't keep all the law, but they could work towards that and they could try. And every time they did keep it, they got blessed. But were they cursed because God is a God of wrath? They were cursed because they could not keep the covenant. You see, and what we said was, well, they're cursed because God cursed them. Actually, the curse came when Adam and Eve sinned. But the good news is we're no longer under that requirement because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We are handed. It is like when he was there and he died. If you could just imagine that. He hands you all, every single one of you, on the whole world, he's handing the New Testament and the grace of God. That doesn't mean all receive it, right? Because all are not saved. Why? Because they didn't provide a resting place and receive that, right? That doesn't mean he didn't hand it, and he's still handing it. If you have not received Jesus Christ, he's still handing it. He hadn't, he hadn't taken it back. Now, God's holy and righteous and he hates sin. So if you're thinking that sin is, it's okay to run out and sin, we'll just go do whatever we want to, well, you better think again because sin always has consequences. Always has consequences. So if you go out and break the law, there'll be consequences. You may end up in court, in jail. If you, um, I'm not going to say this sin. I'm just going to say these things are a result of sin. You could lose relationships or friendships because of sin. You could lose your marriage. You could lose your finances, your car, your home, even your good name. And the list would just go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Because sin has consequences. Does that mean God is doling out those consequences? No. Your own choice to sin brings the consequences. Okay. And you can fully grasp this and know that God is for us forever. It's going to change your life. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, what about King David? Didn't God punish him for his sin? And he lost his child. His child died. I want to tell you something. And get this. David lived before the cross. Now there's one more I'm going to bring up. There's Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, you want to tell me about that? That's Acts 5. What I'm going to tell you is Ananias and Sapphira were not believers. 
They were imposters checking out what was going to happen. And what happened was not good. I'm not even going to go into that story. I'm going to say this. I want you to get this. You will never find an example of God punishing the believer for his sin in the New Testament. Now that's heavy. So if you're expecting to get whipped, you're not going to be. What'd you say? <laughs> you will never find an example of God punishing a believer for his sin or sins in the New Testament. You see, we don't have to be afraid of God. He's on our side. Did Jesus die on the cross to keep us from c committing sin and maybe even thinking sinful things? Well, if he did, he, he really flubbed up, didn't he? Because we still have that problem, don't we? We still think bad things, and sometimes we do bad things. But you know what? Even when we fail, he doesn't condemn us. He picks us up, brushes us off, says, I've got some good things here. You want them? Yes, amen. Now, I'm going to talk just for a moment about the chastening because I know that scripture's in there. It used to bother me. Maybe it don't bother you. It used to bother me. Here's the scripture, Hebrews 12, 5, and 6. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. I don't think that's the right scripture, is it? Oh, there it is. Nor the discouraged. When, well, that's, that's not the one I got. It. I got the New King James, okay? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. I guess that is it. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, have you read that scripture and thought, mm, the paddle's out and I'm going to get it? Have you ever done that? I mean, let's just be honest. I know you have. I have. This appears to be a contradiction, doesn't it, to what I've been saying. But I want to tell you what the word chasten means. In plain, ordinary, simple English, it means child training. How many of you have children? Just one or two of you have children. Are the rest of you asleep or what? Maybe they're past training. Maybe you hope they're walking in their training by now. Okay, chasten means child training. It does not mean punish. But that's what we think. We think punish. When that when you hear that word chasten, you think punish, don't you? I know you do. Okay. So that means child training. So, you know, um, when I trained my children, <laughs> and Jerry trained my children, my boys will tell you that I chased them through the house with the blyswatter. That is not true, but that's the way they remember it. But when Jerry spoke, you know, he's a man of a few words, they paid attention fast. But I, you know, I know I whipped them with the flyswatter because I believe that a little paddling is good for the soul. <coughs> So that, that makes you think, well, God must have a fly swatter after me. Let me tell you, God chastens. He, he does child training with the word. Do you ever read the word and get so convicted about what you're doing? Do you ever read the word and, and then you feel so good you want to go out and give somebody something or do something? You see, he uses his word. That's why we need to get in it every day. And the more we get in it, the more comes out of us and the more blessing we are to others. So he doesn't give a terminal disease or cause a tornado or put him in an accident or kill him to teach him a lesson. But you see, we've kind of been in a gray area here. I want to get out of that gray area. 
God never uses sickness, disease, accident, calamity, death, whatever. He does not use that to teach you something. God's righteous anger against sin has been satisfied. You can expect grace, not punishment. Now, does he train his children? Yes, absolutely. The Holy Spirit's going to be speaking in your ear quietly and saying, He doesn't yell at you like you think he does. Sometimes I wish he'd yell at me. Do you? Because I think your voice is so soft, I'm not sure that's you, God. Would you please just bellow it out to me? God doesn't use bad, ugly, evil things because the goodness of God leads man to repentance. Wow. Yes, we need to repent. Because repent means change your mind, turn around, go the other way. It means you're sorry for what you've done, and you're going to go another way. And you need to do that all the time for your sake. Now, you know what? God doesn't waste anything. So here comes the devil. I'm going to hand you a pile of stuff. Kevin, I'm just going to hand that to you. And... You know what, it, Kevin knows that that's not from God. So he, he doesn't hold out his hand and say, well, bring it on. I want all you got. He says, no, I'm going to slam the door in your face. I'm not going to take it. Or even if, if we, as, as children of God, we participate in things we shouldn't. We do things we shouldn't. You know what God does? He takes it. And he doesn't, he doesn't say, I told you different and you know better than that. We do that with our kids sometimes. You know what he does? He makes something good out of what the devil brought. Now, isn't that amazing? I think that's the biggest slap in the devil's face that you could get. Because here comes the devil with this big, huge assignment. And instead of getting Kevin down, God just turns it into something beautiful and wonderful just like he slapped the devil for even messing with Kevin or you or me or whoever I'm just using him because he's sitting here on the front row do you see that he's good he didn't give it to you if you got anything bad going on in your life he didn't give it to you but if you'll give it to him he'll make something good out of it he'll slap the devil to sleep with it amen <laughs> Okay, we have a new covenant of grace. You know, I, I wanted to give you some examples of God's goodness. So I, I actually typed these things up. Jerry came in to see what I was doing, and he said, well, you haven't got time to do that. You'll just be lucky to get through all that. Well, he's probably right. Mm, yeah, he's right. But, you know, sometimes I think you remember the testimony better than anything. So I'm going to give you a fast one, okay? Like a year from October, last October, we, we needed a new car. Our car was five years old, and it was just, you know, I know it's still running around because the guy that bought it is still driving it, but I thought we needed a new car anyway, and so did Jerry. And uh, I began to believe God for a car. I asked for a car, and every day I would confess it, and I told him what I wanted exactly, specifically. And... Um, so here comes October a year ago, and it um, doesn't seem like it's been that long. But um, we had put up a little bit of money, and it wasn't very much. I don't know, 6000 maybe, towards a new car. So we had a little seed, didn't we? But um, we had 80 acres of land at Visai that had had a sour gas well on it, so they shut it down, and nobody had even thought about that place for 30 years I added it up for 30 years wow but you know what happened <laughs> an old company wanted to lease some minerals on that place for just the exact amount of money to make up the difference in us paying cash for this brand new car <laughs> so I want you to know God takes things that you think are dead and he brings them back to life. Hallelujah. 
So we're in the new covenant of grace. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, I want to say this because I don't want you thinking you're just free to go do what you want to. Sin will open the door for the enemy, just like pulling it open. Come on in, here I am. Now, I don't mean that, that you don't sin because we all do, okay? That's why you don't open a door that you know is is going to trap you in something, okay? Anyway, it opens the door for the enemy and may cause you to live in hell on earth. But don't give God the credit for that. If you're a born-again believer, heaven is your destination. Now, this may shock you. I've been a long time coming to this point. Heaven is your destination if you've accepted Jesus Christ though you may not have any success on this earth because of your sin. We choose every day to follow God or follow the devil. Your sin, now this is brave, you better listen up. Your sin can't send you to hell. Either it's finished up here or it's not. I'm telling you, that is it's so deep. If, if you just would get it, your sin was taken by Jesus on the cross. And the only thing that will send you to hell is not receiving Jesus Christ. Did you all get that? Yeah, that's, that's worth clapping for. I know I'm hitting this hard. God is sovereign. Here's how his sovereignty operates. He is God. So he tells us what we need to do in order to make that resting place so that we can receive everything. How would you like it if you bought your kids 15, let's say 30 gifts, and they got there for Christmas, and not a single one of them would open one of the gifts that you gave them? How would that make you feel? Angry, okay. She said she'd be angry. Well, I think I would too. That's what we do with God. We don't provide a resting. He just, he's just aching to just pour out, pour out, pour out. You know why? Because he wants the body of Christ to stand up and be seen and do the things that Jesus did. Okay. So, Here's what he did. He gave us back the authority that he gave Adam and Eve that the the devil took, but then Jesus got it back, and now he expects us to use that authority. Whereas kids, you know, Jesus was the the exact, we, we hear this, we don't think about it. He's like the Father God walking around on earth. He's the exact representation of the Father. Did he ever impart sickness and disease? Did he ever stir up a storm? He calmed the storm. Did he ever kill somebody or did he raise them from the dead? What did Jesus do? That's the best thing you can do is follow that rule. What did Je- There used to be little bracelets around WWJD. There you go. What would Jesus do? What Jesus said and did on earth was he expression of the will of God if you want to know what the will of God is just study what Jesus did and go do it I double dare you I double D dare you that's how you say it isn't it Acts 10:38 says Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and power well do you have the Holy Spirit and power yes and he went about doing evil things Good. And causing sickness and disease. Healing. All who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Wow. That same scripture is yours. That's what we're supposed to be doing every single day. You ought to get up in the morning and say, okay, who can I lay hands on today? Who needs the goodness of God? Who needs just a kind word or a smile or whatever? 
God is good. Jesus is the perfect theology. You know, we have a lot of doctrinal issues. Let's just have Jesus be the theology. Let's do what he did, and we'll all be in good shape, right? Um, I want to give you another little testimony of God's goodness. You know, testimonies are the, of Jesus are the spirit of prophecy. That's why we have prophecy in the house today. So most of you know that a couple of years ago, my husband was on a four-wheeler, and I want to emphasize he was going one and a half miles an hour. That was determined by a lot of experts. So those of you that think he was crashing around, being silly, he wasn't. He was going one and a half miles an hour. He was on a little steep grade about that, that much. And a piece broke on the four-wheeler, on the front of the wheel. And when it did, it just tossed him over there, and then it politely landed on top of him. And so, you know, I get a phone call. They're metaflighting him out of that canyon, and I'm terrified. I'm the woman of faith that was terrified. And um, I remember... Um, Several people were at the hospital, and they, he didn't come to that hospital, so now we find out they already medified him to the city. So we're headed that way. I'm making this long. Huh? It's hard for me not to put in the detail. And um, so we got down there. I know my son Mark drove, and he drove 80 miles an hour all the way, and he was on the phone the whole way. It's like, oh, God, thank you for your mercy and protection, in spite of the fact that we are not under your umbrella. But um, we got down there. Uh, he, he looked a sight, for sure. He had 14 broken bones, either fractures or broken bones. And, of course, these specialists, they're saying, well, we're probably going to operate by morning. And he said, no, you're not going to operate. I'm thinking, yes, yes, yes. Let them do whatever they need to do. I'm this great woman of faith. <laughs> See, we all have our moments, don't we? And um, he spent the night in intensive care. Marty and Terry were there. Um, probably there were others. I don't remember much about that night. Um, we stayed a week at OU Medical and a week in Jim Thorpe at Baptist. And Jerry didn't come home using a wheelchair. He came home with a, a walker for just a little while. And now you see... He just got back from skiing two different times. <laughs> God is good, isn't he? I just want you to know God is good. He has angels charge over us. Now, I want to talk just a few minutes, and I'm going to be done, about the cross. We have not grasped what happened there. You know, John the Baptist came after 400 years no dreams, no visions, no word from God, no nothing. And all of a sudden, here comes John the Baptist. And what does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And you know what those words did? They changed the whole picture of creation. Because now the presence of God was going to live in the people. Instead of following God, now the presence of God lives in them. The kingdom is the presence of God. That's why we say the kingdom is within you, because God is within you. His presence is the kingdom. Now, that was revelation to me if it wasn't for you. That blesses me, because I used to think, okay, the kingdom, how do I let this big, huge thing out? Well, it's Jesus. I just let, it's actually the Holy Spirit, okay? Our problem is receiving. Remember the dove? There has to be a resting place. I have another little tiny testimony but I guess you don't have time for that <laughs> we wanted an, uh, our fireplace for 12 years didn't work it stunk so bad we couldn't stand to have it on so I was willing we had Terry over there we had another two or three people what can we do what can we do this smell is just it's ugly so we just don't use the fireplace and um, so 
One of them said it would take $3,000 at least and was going to have to do some work in the bathroom on the other side and da-da-da-da-da. I didn't care if it's going to cost $3,000. I had the $3,000. Let's do it. Well, Jerry gets up one morning and he said, we, we'd even gone to the city and priced things and then we got home and saw that all that we priced wouldn't fit in our fireplace. So that took care of that idea. And then he got up the next morning and he said, I believe God told me what to do. I said, I'm for it. What is it? So he said, I'm going to go buy some I don't even know what the name of it is. The wire. Not the wire. What is it called? The wire. What's it called? Jerry? Expanded metal. Some of you guys should know about that movie. So I, I still was in the dark, but he went and bought expanded metal, took off the <coughs> fireplace doors. In the meantime, a contractor had come and said, you don't have to have those doors on there. And I said, say What? All this time I've had those doors on there. I didn't have to have them on there. So we took off the doors, and, and um, Jerry took the expanded metal, welded it to the frame of the doors. He, he sprayed it with black paint. We put that thing back on there, and it is beautiful. It cost $47. <laughs> you see, that's a little thing. That's like Susan. God's concerned about every little thing about you. And uh, believe me, that fireplace has hardly been off this winter. I'm telling you, sometimes it gets so hot. I'm, I'm shedding my house coat, and Jerry's taking off his uh, second shirt, but we still leave it on. It's like, oh, I love to look at it. It looks so pretty, and, and it smells. Well, it, it, it doesn't smell like a fireplace. It just doesn't stink, praise God. Anyway, I'm going to get back to the cross here. I want you to get a picture of this if you don't get anything else today. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. Now, I want you to see, just prior to that, here goes God throughout the entire earth. Everything past, everything presently that's going on with you right now, everything in the future. He gathers it up. And when Jesus was on the cross, he dropped that whole thing on him. I don't think we can imagine that. The Bible says he didn't even look like himself. Well, if you had all 39 major diseases of the world on you, if you had every sin, every... Um, chastising of your peace every every destructive thing that could be if you if you were carrying it physically in your body what do you think you'd look like and i believe at that moment when god dropped those sins on him he knew it had to be done he dropped that sin of the world the whole wide world on jesus and jesus says father why have you forsaken me? Why? Because all of a sudden, something he had never experienced was the separation between him and his father. What separated it? Your sin and mine. I think we haven't caught the fact that the whole sin of the entire earth was just dropped on him like a, like a stone or a boulder. God did this outside of time. God is up here. He's not down here in time. Therefore, he's able to get what's been past, what's now, and what is future because he's outside of time gathering up this stuff that's inside of time. It is finished. Hebrews 10, 17, Jesus says, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Sin is dealt with. The punishment for sin is on Jesus. 
So why do you think God would punish you? Do you think Jesus didn't do it right? That, that it wasn't enough? He was the ultimate sacrifice. Now, you might say, I didn't do anything to receive this righteousness. I didn't do anything to get all this good stuff. Jesus didn't sin. He didn't do anything to go to the cross. But he did. And he hands you his righteousness to live in. It's the best gift you could ever have. And now you get to live a life of being righteous. Even when you fail, you just jump up and go again because God has already forgiven you. It's a done deal. Do you understand that? Do you really get that? It is so mind-boggling that if you go to bed tonight and you haven't confessed three sins, he still forgave you. He, st he, he forgave you back there. Anything you do, it's already forgiven. That doesn't give you a license to sin. It gives you a license to live in the luxurious penthouse that God has, just being blessed over and over and over and giving it out, just hand it out to anybody that wants it. Wouldn't you like to just have enough cash to just meet the needs of, of this? Everybody in here, just write down your needs. And I, I, I got so much money, I don't know what to do with it, so I'm just going to, wouldn't you like to do that? I think that's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to just bless and bless and bless and teach them how to, of course, make their own way. And, and I don't mean they don't ever go to work. I mean God has blessed us to be a blessing. I'll leave you this scripture and I'm done. Psalm 103, 3 through 6. This is what God did. He forgives all my sins. That's pretty good. Heals all my diseases. Redeems me from death. I think I said that differently. Ransoms me from hell. How's that? Surrounds me with loving kindness and tender mercy. He fills my life with good things. And he even renews my youth like the eagles. Wow. How wonderful, how good God is. Yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Amen.